It's episode 7 of Auto Catch-Up, and it's another big week of news. Holden Special Vehicles is to become General Motors Special Vehicles, Audi extends warranty for some customers, and an electric version of some popular Land Rovers are coming soon. Well, it's a very chilly morning uh, here in Brisbane and um, and I'm sure around where you're probably listening at the moment as the cold snap comes over um, the eastern side of Australia. But uh, it's good to have Joel and Mick back. Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo and uh, Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Uh, welcome back, guys. Morning. Welcome to the Ice Age. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh. Cold, cold, cold. And unfortunately, this week, I've got a car that doesn't have heated seats. Um, oh, I do. Which... <laughs> Bingo. Sorry. <laughs> so, it's, uh, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed at that one. Um, but I've got a good car for the current easing of uh, COVID-19 restrictions here in Queensland. So, at least I'm uh, happy with that. But, um, but Mick, what have you been up to? So, uh, we didn't get to see you last week. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've been in the uh, this next trail uh, Ntrek uh, last week, and I've swapped that for the uh, plug-in hybrid electric uh, Mitsubishi Outlander Exceed this week. Um, so I've had a lot of fun actually in the Ntrek, just getting an idea of um, what it's like on the gravel. It's quite good actually. I'd probably option up for the all-wheel drive. Um, but yeah, the, the X Trail actually grew on me quite a bit. Um, I think I like the Entrek better than the the top spec Ti. Slightly different seats. Same story with the um, uh, the the previous Entrek that I had as well. Um, mm-hmm. They just I don't know. They seem to be a bit of a sweet spot if if you can get past using the foot operated park brake, which is in the X Trail. Not a big fan of that. Um, but aside from that, they're just, it, it's a good size footprint. They're a little bit larger than the other medium sized SUVs, a little bit bigger boot. Uh, not as, um, not quite as modern as a lot of the uh, more newer body styles. So we know the X Trail is supposed to be coming out with a uh, new generation soon. Um, mm. So that, that'll help them feel a lot more modern when they get inside it. But I think a lot of people are going to find pretty good value when they get into X Trails if they're not looking for the. You know, I guess we, all three of us sort of have consistent exposure to modern vehicles every day. I mean, I, I drove 50 cars last year, so, um, you know, the context that we have in regard to what's a modern car and what's a good car sort of becomes a bit grey. We think everything should drive exactly like the latest version, whereas people that are coming from a previous generation vehicle to a vehicle like the X-Trail, they'll notice the step up a lot more than than us who are driving around new cars, you know, fairly consistently. I don't think they'd be too disappointed with the X-Trail. It's got a lot of space, a lot of comfort, a lot of good visibility. Uh <laughs> If you keep it in its envelope, so the uh, 2.5 petrol isn't exactly setting the world on fire with performance, paired with the CVT. Um, you know, the CVT lets it get the most out of it. 
And as long as you're only driving around in that sort of suburban um, performance envelope, if you're not asking uh, to uh, to leverage on the the sport part of the SUV, um, it does fairly well. But when you start getting up around 5,000 RPM, it starts asking you, why are we here? Um, <laughs> and sort of uh, doesn't, doesn't want to play up there. But, I mean, they're not supposed to. I think so, that's every car that's fitted with a CVT is just as soon as you start to go over, you know, 50% throttle, um, it starts asking you, uh, this is not why you bought me. If you wanted that, buy the manual. Um, I thought 50% throttle was the baseline, isn't like <laughs> this? No. But Look, I mean, if you've so- got a car that you want to make it scream, yeah, go for it in a CVT because it will do that every single time because... Yep. Um, for those that don't know, a CVT is a constantly variable transmission. So unlike a traditional automatic, which moves through a set of, you know, like six gears, same with a manual, you know, you've got five, six gears that you work through as you accelerate um, to maximize power and torque. A CVT essentially is almost like this, um, it, 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 it changes its ratio. So there are no set gears. So you don't go through gear one, gear two, gear three. It's essentially kind of like one big gear. Um, and what that means is that if you're accelerating hard, the engine will stay around 5,000 RPM, for example, but the transmission mm. itself will constantly be adapting to, to maximize that power um, being put to the road. So for efficiency, it's excellent because you're not constrained by the ratios of a transmission which will mean that you know um, you end up using more fuel if you're not in the right gear and everything like that but the offset is is that it, it isn't really the most pleasant driving experience i guess you could say particularly if you do accelerate accelerate yeah. a bit more um yeah it's they, are, they more, are getting better but yeah they have they have a come better. a long way yeah, so like even the so the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander that I'm in at the moment, uh, CVT again. Um, but I did notice that. So when you're on the highway, so you you get over your sort of 35k pure EV range, which is actually pretty handy around town. Yeah. Um, for me, I have over 100 kilometres for a commute, so obviously I deplete the um, the the battery capacity, so it switches to a petrol engine when I'm on the highway. Um, after I get sort of to the BPs, uh, the twin BPs on the Bruce Highway up to the sunny coast, but I do use the um, the regenerate button did you use that when you had it ash yeah i did um i think i to be honest i accidentally set it and then couldn't figure out how to uh, how you did reset it? <laughs> it for a little while yeah um yeah. but then i eventually worked it out but did you did it did it sit constantly when you are using that regenerative it sit now it doesn't give you a proper rev counter no on the fev it gives you like a, a power output it took me a little while to work out what it was doing because it made it it gives you like a charge bar and then if the engine's on, it, it yep. looks like a rev counter, but it's not. It's like a power output. Yeah, it's kilowatts times... Yeah, um, 10, I think. Yeah, times 10. So, you're sort of sitting between, um, you know, obviously zero and up to 100 kilowatts. Yeah. But, yeah, I found when I, I was sitting on the highway and you hit that um, recharge button to use the engine to replenish the battery at the same time as you're propelling the vehicle, yeah. I didn't see the output change significantly actually at all. Um, no. When I had For both me, when going- I was on the highway, it sat about just under about that five mark. Um, and it almost felt yeah. a little bit louder than I expected. But what was good, and I think it's better than the original Outlander Fev that came out, was that 
it would build up about, I think, about three kilometres of electric range and then it would go back to electric. Um, yeah. And then you'd go back to quiet driving for a little bit and then you'd go back to... So it's not ideal, particularly if you are on a longer commute. Um, mm. And that's where I think the, the technology for the Outlander still has a little bit more to go. It's not like the, um, the original... Um, Holden Volt, which I thought was a really great compromise of it's a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, but you had about 70 k's of range, and then once that yeah. combustion engine kicked in, it acted more like a Toyota Prius where it would use the small amount of charge to supplement the combustion engine, and yeah, it would drive a bit more like a Prius, but then once you were able to plug it in and and charge it up, it would go back to a pure EV. And I always found that that was what I, would, I had hoped the Outlander to be when it first launched um, because I had a chance mm. to drive those back-to-back then. But it's yeah, good to see too. that the Outlander has come and Mitsubishi have stuck, and we mentioned it last week, that Mitsubishi have stuck with the engineering and improving the Outlander, even though the body shape hasn't yep. changed, they've kept improving the technology that sits underneath it, which I think um, to, to, to continue winning buyers over, they really need to do, particularly as more and more brands are bringing out their own hybrid or electric um, vehicles. And yep. so the benchmark is constantly changing for what I guess is kind of acceptable because um, even now like they ship with a 10 amp plug rather than a 15 amp plug which was the home charger when it first launched and I, and I mentioned it's Joel last week said who's got a 15 amp plug at home um, the closest 15 amp plug would be the caravan park like that would be the only place I'd <laughs> yeah, right. a 15 amp plug so it's um, certainly had some good improvements it's fairly comfortable if you, like if you don't have a long commute it it's perfectly great. Like, I can drive from my home to Carindale, um, Westfield Carindale, and plug in and charge there for free. Um, and it's not the fastest charger. It only charges about six kilowatts. Um, so, it's not terribly fast at the, yeah. the plug it uses. But it's kind of enough just to top up a little bit to get me back home again, and then I can plug in at home again. So, if, yeah. if that kind of arrangement works for most people who who might be buying it, or if they just do it for the for the run, you know, to school or anything like that, it could you know it it, it could be a good way to save a little bit of money um, on petrol over time, maybe. Yeah. Well, I did, I did find though that um, I guess going back to the point about the CVTs previously is that when I had that recharge going, and the um, the power meter output didn't go up. I still maintain the same speed I had previously. Um, that's showing the transmission or the CVT actually doing a little bit of the work there, um, picking exactly the right ratio to extract the level of performance and recharge at the same time. So I actually, I mean, I still plug it in when I get home um, at the end of the day. But I do, before I'm coming up to a town, I'll put it on sort of 10Ks out and, and get an extra couple of Ks to be able to run around in the in yeah. the, um, in the the urban environment in, mm. in pure EV because that, that is pretty sweet. Um, I, I, I still find myself, if I finish the phone call or something and I have the radio turned down still, I still leave the radio off and just sort of sit in peace and quiet for a little mm. while, which mm. is a nice break. Um, I didn't. I don't really like the seats in the um, in the Outlander. I'm probably slightly different caliber to, caliber to other people, being six foot six and 120 kilos. But um, I'm not sure how everybody else fits into those seats. But for me, they felt like a a good seat for when you're doing those sort of um, inner city kind of runs. So it's not a lot of um, 
particular support around the sides, bolsters and the like, but it is good for sitting up in your seat and turning around and looking out of the um, uh, the level of visibility within the car to look out and see everything is very good. Yeah. Um, it's it kind of reminded me a bit of the of the current Prius as well actually, in, in its attitude. So, um, the the current Prius is the same. It's got a lot of visibility. You can look around. Just don't look at it from the outside. Um, it's not a good looking car, um, but. They do the inner city thing really well. You can sit up and see around and get a good situational awareness without having to rely on cameras and stuff. Yeah. Even though there is a 360 degree camera in the um, in the Exceed Outlander, um, but for touring, yeah, as you said, I think there's there's not a lot of advantage to having these as as tourers. And no. if if I did want to go touring, and I've got my fingers crossed for the new gen that comes out, that they've got some uh, improvements with the seats too. Is it? A lot of companies are doing a lot of work and improving their their seats lately, like Toyota's seats at the moment for like the Corollas um, is very good. The Rav4 I found very good as well. Um, I think they're starting to, you know, previously with SUVs they were trying to focus on getting the practicality in in place and getting everyone hooked on having the practicality. And there was some compromises where you're going from something that was more comfortable, like a sedan or a wagon, where they've got the the better seating. The SUVs are now stealing all those extra little features that um, previously were advantages for the traditional models, are now getting into the SUV space. So we're starting to run out of excuses to not buy an SUV. I'm mm. hoping that the next gen Outlander is um, continues that trend and they have a nice upgrade in regard to the seats. Um, what did what did you think space wise for the Outlander? I found, I found it quite good. It's yeah, I thought it was I thought it was quite good. The um, the battery taking up the extra space in the boot, thus not mm. having the third row of seats. I think um, most people probably looking at a seven seat Outlander probably won't want the hybrid anyway. Um, yeah, I don't. I probably- I'd- I don't think but, that third row is big enough, to be honest, in the in the seven seat Outlanders. No. What? Well, let, let's yeah. be honest. I, I didn't really miss it, even if it wasn't there. Um, I did find it hilarious that the cup holders are still there um, above the wheel arches think, yeah. in the back. Um, so maybe that's good for when you go to the drive-in movies. Um, yeah. Now that they're open again, so that's <laughs> uh, maybe that's where they come in handy. But I think the drive-in I movies look- are open again. What since the eighties? Yeah, well, no, after the following restrictions. <laughs> I haven't um, seen a driving movie for a while. No. I'd, yeah, look, I'd, I'm glad they've gone up to the 2.4. Yeah. The petrol engine doesn't work as hard, so, um, you know, I might be a little bit more deaf than you. I've worked in aviation for 10 years, so... Um, but I, I didn't find the, the level of noise particularly intrusive from the engine unless I was... Um, yeah, testing that CVT compliance at around 5,000 RPM. <laughs> but normal cruising and stuff, I, I, I still find the Outlander to be uh, nice and relaxing as long as you're not trying to throw it around basically the same as the X-Trail. Actually, that's that's one of my duties this weekend is to go and throw it down the same dirt road that I mm. um, played with on the X-Trail and see what sort, mm. of, what sort of difference we got there. Well, you have to let me know when you go because I'm currently driving the, uh, the Patrol TI. Um, the updated Patrol Ti, and um, ah. it's it's monstrous. It is a huge <laughs> four-wheel drive. Um, it is parked up next to a, a Land Cruiser um, yesterday whilst at the um, picking up some groceries, and mm. 
based on just looking at it, the patrol is just that smidge bigger. Um, again, um, yeah. it it's just huge. The V8 petrol sounds great. Awful for fuel economy at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, my fuel economy average is about 17.5 litres per 100. Um, well. So, I don't know how optim... I think the fuel economy or the fuel range meter was a bit optimistic when I picked it up. It said about 900 kilometres. Um, 120 kilometres in, I'm already at quarter of a tank down. So, you didn't read that right? So, what I mean, metres? What I mean, 900 metres? <laughs> that's though. right. It could be. <laughs> I think in the Outlander, I've used 17 litres of fuel this week and I've been back and work, back and forth to Brisbane three times. So Yeah. So, it's... Uh, it's big proportionately. It, it like what you mentioned. I think we're we're a little bit spoilt sometimes where we're driving um, a lot of different cars from different brands that do a lot of different inclusions. I think um, the Patrol itself, probably for the demographic that are that it's aimed at, will probably find the interior perfectly adequate. It's got leather. It has wood trim. Um, very very traditional, like Japanese upmarket car. Yeah. Of you know that slightly older style. It doesn't have CarPlay. It doesn't have Android Auto. Um, it does have a 360 degree camera, which comes in very handy for it because it Not is bad. a very big car. <laughs> um, but it just feels, even though it was literally just updated at the start of this year, it does feel that it is a generation behind. But at the same time, for what you're probably using it for, and if you are going touring um, and you are, you know, if you've got a caravan hooked up to the back, you're probably not going to be worried about that. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, think, it, uh, I think somebody did a comparison a few months ago towing with a 200 series and, a, um, and the patrol, and the economy on balance wasn't really that significantly different. Like obviously, no. it was a slight advantage to the to the diesel yeah. um, V8, but they actually come out a lot closer than everyone everyone expected. Yeah, and I think it's um, and that's probably something that that perception that hampered sales right at the very beginning for the patrol. Yeah. Um, I know that at the beginning, um, when I spoke to to dealers, that Nissan was still trying to move. So I think the new patrol. Um, came in originally around 2000, oh, would it be 2012, 2013? And it was still in 2015, Nissan was still trying to move um, product that had first arrived in that first batch um, yep. of vehicles at that point in time. They were so old, in fact, that they no longer had LCT apply because um, they had hit that two... When, once a vehicle hits two years old and it still hasn't been sold, LCT is now, like, it's exempt from LCT. And right. so that was, like, one of the motivators that Nissan were trying to push these patrols onto dealers because, well, you don't have to... You don't. You don't have to. Attach You'd have to do the LCT, LCT under on there. Top. Um, yeah. So on paper, it looks like a really good discount. Um, yeah. So it it had a very slow start to sales, but funnily enough, it's one of those things where you see a ton of them when you're driving one. Um, and even you know, I picked it up on Thursday, and in two days, I probably saw about five or six different patrols moving around. So um, is this the one that you said hasn't got seat warmers? Yeah. So this how is the much, how TI. Much is this? Um, uh, it's not cheap. I don't know. I don't have the yeah. the price in front of me, but it is. I think it sh- it should be around 
I think they start about 85. Um, if I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. It, it, uh, yeah, there you go. The the TI starts at 76,990 before on roads. Yeah. Um, and the TIL is 92,790. You know what so, I like about the new design is it looks like um, someone must have struck gold at the time, but it looks like a render from a website online that says, hey, this is what the new patrol is going to look like. It just, it, I don't know, it's got that sort of... <laughs> You know, you know, you know. Usually, when somebody does a render for some new product, they get an old yeah. version and then stick a new mm-hmm. face on it. This is exactly yeah. what it looks like. It actually yeah. looks pretty good. It does look I good. Think. It does I look like good it. on the road. Um, it, yeah, it's got it's huge. The the seat space is massive. Um, it doesn't have a powered tailgate, um, mm. which probably. Like say for example, um, I'm six one and it is a bit of a reach to pull it pull down the hatch. Um, but even right. so my mom or anyone who comes up to my shoulder, like reaching up to pull the boot down is is hard. Not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's where a, a button even on the a button on the inside, um, kinda like the the key carnival where it's got that button just on the pillar to close the door if you're sitting inside or even I found it much easier to just when I'm leaving the car just to hit that button to close the door um, when walking away it just needs one of those buttons just to close down that tailgate to make it a little bit easier for different people different heights because it is a tall car Um, but Mick yeah if if once you schedule some time and just be careful when you're hopping in because it's a very big step up And there is a grab handle to help you get in, but I've hit my head every single time hopping in. (laughs) Is that right? Because the seat is high, the 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 clearance of the ground is extremely high. Yeah, right. So the roof proportionately top of the seat. Yeah, yeah, the roof is low. So every time I hop in, it's whack. Um, Just. And so I have. I'm still yet to figure out the best way to hop in. Um, I'm still experimenting with: do I grab this foot there and jump in um yeah that's definitely so, a skill isn't it uh, not not yeah. everyone has to worry about it but yeah yeah so yeah that's um that's that's what i'm still trying to work out at the moment <laughs> um but I, I can't wait i'm so glad that um the restrictions have eased because i can now take it to a national park and um see how it goes yep i'm more than 50 um, kilometers away from you though so oh look it's it's work related so that's okay I'll meet you. I'll meet you halfway in the forestry. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> we'll see who gets stuck first. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm in an Outlander. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the name, Outlander. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, to hitting up a, a few more um, places because I think it, it 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 is a little bit wasted just taking it on the road because I don't think most people who are buying a patrol will be only sticking to the road. Um, yep. Most people will be towing um, some sort of caravan or camper trailer or taking it to national parks. So I think that's. Um, and this one does have a tow bar. Um, this review card does have a, a tow bar with it, so um, oh, cool. yeah, that's good. But what about you, Joel? It's uh, what have you been up to this week? 
Uh, it's quite weak for me. I've just been working on some projects in the office, um, but mainly trying to catch up on... Um, it's been a big week in iRacing. Uh, I've only just literally finished watching Subaru's uh, IRX All-Star Invitational. Today we had um, round four today from Lucas Oil Raceway. Um, and another action-packed uh, event. We actually had no fewer than three Australians running today. Uh, wow. Chris Atkinson, uh, Blake Bilko-Williams, and Chad Reid, um, which was good to see. Uh, but then, yeah, the, the winner was Sammy Matty Trogan, um, who has beat the uh, current favourite, who's been literally cleaning uh, it all up, um, which is Mitchell DeJong. Uh, he's won the last three round, uh, the last few rounds. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see. It's uh, today. It was a very different. Uh, a lot of guys, unfortunately, got tangled up, and uh, some big names uh, didn't actually manage to progress through the through the finals. So I'm looking forward to the next round. Is in uh, in a week's time in Atlanta. Uh, so that'll be good to watch. Um, Supercars again ran there. Uh, E-Series this week and it was again another massive um, event with two races from um, Montreal and uh, Watkins Glen uh, with some reverse reverse uh, grid races Um, but lots of chaos, lots going on, um, lots of different winners Um, Anton Di Pasquale uh, did, he took out a win Chaz and Jamie Winkup both had wins uh, and then also Scott Scotty McLaughlin had a win as well. Uh, sorry, not Scotty McLaughlin. Shane Van Gisman had a win as well. Scotty had uh, three podiums but no wins. Um, but, yeah, it was really, really good to, to watch. Um, lots of action. The reverse grid um, was um, interesting, to say the least. Lots of accidents. Yep. Um, lots of first I, quarter I really issues. Liked, I, liked him, I liked watching him go around Watkins Glen. I thought that was quite a good track to to watch there was some good racing going on there yeah it's an interesting track to, to watch in terms of the way it is in its layout you know it is a, it is a big NASCAR track um, Marcus Ambrose was racing in a in a livery we'd, we'd seen before in his previous Pertac livery um, have you watched he was, that have you watched NASCAR going around Watkins Glen yeah it's good I actually caught some I watched some of it just before uh, the before the race during the week just to familiarise myself because I remember that um, Marcus had had done uh, well there. Um, and he'd won a couple of races there and I actually, to admit, I actually got myself confused, I got um, Watkins Glen confused with um, Sonoma Um, I actually prefer Sonoma as a road course Um, I think it's uh, it's quite cool in terms of the way that it's laid out Um, but yeah it was good to to watch some of that, but yeah there was lots of of action Um, (laughs) Supercars, check out Supercars tweet there, race 12 no words, just watch, it was just mayhem Absolute mayhem. Yeah. Um, some oh, interesting. Who, was, who had pole in the reverse grid at um, Watkins Glen? Do you recall that? That was uh, Lugano. Um, that was uh, what's his name? Um, Jack Smith. Mister, let's sit there with our arms crossed and crack jokes yeah. while the red light was on. Yeah, I know. Well, Everyone was picking on Joey's have, start. Didn't even have Joey. his hands on the steering wheel. No, so they're so. picking on poor Joey with his takeoff and smoking the wheels up in the mm. Mustang the first, you know, the the few times that he's actually been uh, in this simulator. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Mr. Polesitter went absolutely nowhere. They didn't even mention yeah. it. And he just... No. Well, because there was too much yeah. else going on. Joey got punted and got turned around and then everything else happened. But one thing I have noticed, um, and it was more last week than anything else, and I don't know whether you've noticed it, Mick, but 
the liveries that we're seeing on TV, you don't actually see them in the game. Have you noticed that a lot of the game cars don't um, don't show their liveries from other viewers? So if you're like, I actually happen to watch Scotty McLaughlin's Twitch stream at the same time as watching the coverage, um, which was quite interesting to watch because you get to hear all the different drivers. Um, yep. If you are watching e-racing, I certainly recommend jumping onto one of the drivers' Twitch streams because it gives you a real insight to what's going on that you mm. don't get to see on the TV coverage. You get to hear all the drivers talking to each other, <laughs> apologising for hitting each other or you know having issues <laughs> or things like that. But then you get to hear them talk to race control. Um, but I yep. noticed that when they're doing the expression session and Scotty and Joey were doing that nose to tail um, reverse around the track thing. Uh, Joey's car was black um, from Scotty's eyes, not all white. It's probably um, a thing where if you don't have the livery installed on your computer, it probably comes up as blank. So the main broadcast stream, probably what happens is that that machine, which they're doing the main supercar stream from they've got all of the liveries locally uh, of course. okay and yeah, that makes i've only been watching so, on foxtel anyway so yeah yeah so that's probably the way that it works that if you don't have that livery so each driver probably hasn't been sent all of the liveries all they have is their own um and that's probably sort of yeah that's that's what happens with that but one thing which i did see an article that i thought was quite funny um so supercars had to introduce a new rule they're looking at introducing a new rule for the pits um because when max verstappen was and this probably shows his level of experience with i racing which they're doing um this this series on when max verstappen um was a guest was a wildcard entry um for the red bull team he was able to exploit the pit lane um, procedure and actually travel in and out of the pit lanes faster than um, the the pit limiter would have because of the technique that he used. And as soon as all of the other drivers became aware of that, they all started doing it as well. And so now they've had to introduce a new rule to actually say that no, you have to travel at the um, at the pit lane speed you can't exploit the game to actually travel in and and uh get in and out and that's why i think um they they mentioned that he was able to come in after van gisbergen but actually exit before him because of that extra difference in speed so yeah um it's quite funny that i don't know it it probably has nothing to do with it but i kind of think of that's uh that's a formula one driver's perspective of how to exploit something for their advantage and if it's like well if it lets you do it it's you know, it's acceptable versus, I don't know, maybe other racing series where they, you know, they have more standard rules, more standard vehicles, where it's just like, well, we just go along um, with what it is and don't really look for all of those little exploits. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was quite hilarious that um, following Max, they had to then change or introduce that rule anyway into the series to make it a little bit more fair for everyone. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And there's, they're constantly redefining... Uh, um, Constantly looking at the rules and and redef- um, reconfiguring them as we move through the series as well, and yeah, it's uh, it's been quite interesting um, with the differences that they're doing from round to round, and and there's more changes for the next round, which we'll talk about when we get to, to motorsport. But um, yeah. the other thing I watched was uh, which I talked about last week was the SRO um, E Series Championship, and seriously, it was so boring. I almost fell asleep. Um, <laughs> the, the, I, I, look, no offense, like I understand it for for what they're doing and stuff but 
an hour right the races were an hour there were two of them there was a gold uh, there was a pro series and a silver series i only watched the pro series because after an hour i was over it it just like it was a the jordan jordan pepper did a stunning drive in the bentley into the wind but he literally led from green flag to checkered flag and was not not challenged at all there was lots of racing going on further down um and in the last latest stage of the race, there was some interesting. The tyres started to go off, and there was some real changes. Um, ben Barnicote was really interesting to watch in those closing stages. His tyres were obviously better than the cars in front of him, and he was chasing him down quite quickly and was quite fast. Um, but in that middle part of the race, there was just not much happening. Jensen Button was interesting to watch. I was watching him. Um, they were using the Assetto Corso Competition game which is coming Mm. out very very soon um it's already out for some platforms but not for all uh but yeah that was interesting to watch that different point of view from what we've been watching with the iRacing and then obviously um with uh with dirt rally for for the fia stuff uh, rally cross that i've been watching so it was interesting to watch a different format again um in terms of how it works and how the tv coverage works um but yeah they had um, a variety of commentators commentating as well and yeah look it was interesting but it just like an hour race is far too long mm. the rally cross that i watched I, this I morning that, um, went for an that's... hour and it was done. Shorter you know? format races work better um, for, I think, digital, you know, simulation racing um, because you have less random elements or it's not necessarily programmed into these games to have, you know, very realistic botch-ups. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, like, if you... That's the thing with even with supercars. Um, you make it into the pits, the pit happens, and then you move on. There's no stuff up on tyres. There's no, like, there's no confusion over something. Um, and so that's where I think the shorter format races really come into their own because it's more focused about the racing where as soon as you start going to a longer format yeah you get tire wear and everything but that's something that they could if they really wanted to program into like i I was even doing um some gt2 racing on a set of corsa um with some people over in europe and we had a seven lap race around spa but the thing is is that we all were forced to use super soft tires the variant in these gt2 cars which meant temperatures were a really big issue and if you kept on locking up your brakes well you'd get flat spots and you'd have issues and tire issues so i even over seven laps um we had all sorts of tire issues but we weren't allowed to pit so it was more like a a strategic game of do you sacrifice some speed to save your tires and that kind of thing but over a longer format in these digital races i think that's a really hard thing to keep people engaged for unless you know you're doing a massive scale 24-hour nurburgring event um which get huge followings but that's again a a very different type of game um and type of different race to watch formula one too you know they introduced the need to have two different compounds during a race so they could sort of mix up and get a bit of strategy there so you know if they want to have longer format races they should have your intermediate set of tires should be cross plies or something um just to like create a real distinction of performance between the the start of the race and 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 the middle section so they actually have to make some real Mm. trade-offs about the Mm. um performance they're going to get i'd I'd even like to see a, a high level of contrast between the tire versions that that create that that variation that people have to really think about because you know you see the guys 
in the iRacing component, you know, they're only racing sort of 14 laps or whatever. So the mm. the consequence of changing their tyres, though it is, you know, it's there. It's not massively significant, though. No. I mean, like you saw the end of Bathurst with Kostecki playing with McLaughlin at the end. He had so much more pace but still couldn't get around Scotty McLaughlin. So mm. um, that may have been due to blocking. Well aggressive line defense whatever you want to call it um but yeah you want to be able to create an environment where they can overtake and if that's done by tires as long as everyone's still on the same um you know they all have the same options Mm. and then comes down to decisions we can actually get something a little bit more exciting out of it rather than um people having different strategies but the outcome not really being affected that much yeah no, look, I think it's 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 fascinating to see how far um, these e, you know these online series have really come in a relatively short time. Even though it, April felt like you know I, I saw a funny post from someone, a friend of mine, where you know it's, this is a different kind of leap year. You know, there were twenty nine days in February, ten weeks in April. Um, who knows how long May <laughs> yep. is going to be? Um, so even though it is on paper a short amount of time, these series have come a really long way, coming out of nothing. Um, and I can't wait to see where it heads to, particularly as games now. Even um, the Formula One 2020 game, hopefully they get their online platform working better because that's probably been a real big thorn in the side of the E series for Formula One is just the re- you know the reliability of the game um, yeah. for some drivers. That's been a big bugbear. Um, but yeah, hopefully this brings more mainstream focus onto it all. Particularly, if, you know, even Valtteri Bottas has um, his own racing simulator in his house now. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's great to see. Hopefully, it keeps getting better, and hopefully, we'll see um, some of these different things come in that kind of like the challenges which actual series have is going well how do we keep things interesting how do we keep things um uh competitive um and bringing people in because if we have the same type of race every single week it's going to get a bit boring real quick yeah i actually um, did find the the sim setups i remember when we talked about this a few weeks ago um to talk about if there was going to be like control setups that you have to have yeah but there has been there's a massive variation from um people in the more simple um static sim setups versus you had marcus ambrose in his full um virtual reality um motion supported yeah uh, simulator yeah. last week and he you know, you, you hear, I read on Speed Cafe from him about what he thought about it after the fact and how it was, you know, basically, you know, not exactly like the same thing, obviously, but he did, he really enjoyed it. And I think that's that's obviously key. You've got to have the drivers enjoying the um, the event as well. But I like seeing those those different environments set up and, and seeing how they work as well. You know, some yeah. people get to have their dog. Hi, Nelson. <laughs> it's... I, I did feel I did I did have to chuckle though, and we'll, we'll move on to the news next. But um, yep. I did have to chuckle that uh that LG Australia have um come on as a sponsor for uh, Rick Kelly, and his racing setup. But I just couldn't help but laugh at the at the setup itself. So the frame they've got he's he's got three fifty five inch uh, LED uh, OLED sorry OLED TVs mm. um as his display, all running at hundred hertz. Fantastic, looks great, amazing. Um, but 
compared to some of the other setups that I've seen, I just couldn't help but laugh that it's so sophisticated but so basic at the same time where the frame which the TVs and the steering wheel are mounted to is just a rough pine, almost looks like they've ripped apart um, shipping crates and built it. Um, So everybody has got these big metal arms and these full-on play seats and it looks like they've just bolted in a racing seat, screwed in. Someone had a ladder holding the screen. I can't remember who that was. Um, and, and a lot of people are using the Fanatec wheels, you know, these really super expensive racing wheel setups. And he's just got the Logitech um, 920, which, you know, you can buy from kid. Harvey Norman. Yeah. yeah. So, look, and that's a great wheel. That's what I use. Um, works really well. But compared to some of these others where, you know, you, it's yeah, a $10,000 sped up. Yeah, I, I just couldn't help but laugh. But, you know, he is a racing guy that, um, you know, it's a professional racing team. And yet it kind of looks like, you know, here's the rig that he's built in the back, you know, in his backyard kind of thing. Yep. Um, and I think it kind of just highlights again, you know, we always say it, but um, you can you can get yourself one of these setups really for, for, for not a lot of money at all for the relative investment. For probably about $1,000, you could set up a, a PC display, racing wheel and seat um to get you started um so yeah, it's it's just cool to to see the different levels of which you know and how serious people are taking them as well yeah that's right um but look let's dive into some new series a ton of news again this week um it is it is we're recording on the 2nd of may it is we'll probably get sales figures for april um for next week it'll probably come out on tuesday because monday's pop holiday uh, for most of us but um article that i did see sales figures are probably going to be down 40 to 60 percent but we'll wait until those figures come out um yep. to have a chat about but the next and ne- next bit of news is probably most people more keen on is um that we're expecting an, a public announcement of hsv's new branding um through to be revealed pretty soon and we expect that to be called general motors specialty vehicles or gmsv doesn't roll off the tongue as easily as hsv um but it seems to be that there are some quotes in this witch car article um saying that yeah general motors still want to have some form of presence in the market um but just in a different format to what holden was um and what hsv was itself which to me, kind of feels like a bit of a mix in messaging because in that press conference when they were axing Holden on the 17th of February, kind of made it look like that, well, they just don't want the right-hand drive market. It's not important to them. But the intention from the General Motors themselves to have GMSV kind of feels like they want their cake and they want to eat it too. Yeah, it's... Interesting that they're putting it. You know, for us again, we're in this automotive environment. So for us, they changed the name to GMSV rather than HSV. It's not so much a. Um, it's not so much of a distinction for us because we put the link. I mean, everyone knows GMH from the olden days, um, but it, it, I still find it interesting that they're wading into those same waters that they just muddied. Um, on the, on their way out the door, you know, a lot of the yeah. issues you, you see a lot of issues currently with the uh, investigations being referred to the ACCC from Holden dealers saying, "Hey, the your exit um, payment isn't enough. The compensation for investment mm. that was put into dealers needs to be more fair, and all those sorts of things that are going on." Um, taking the H off HSV and putting GM on the front for me doesn't 
make a clean cut between that distraction and um, um, and a negative kind of coverage for the brand. Mm. Um, but I think for for a lot of people, it probably will. Um, they they won't see the the connection between GMSV and HSV. They'll think it's okay. We've gone on to the the next step now. Um, GMSV are providing new things to the um, to the public. Camaro's uh, gone out of production, so we're looking at Corvette now. I'm not sure what other products they're looking at um, pushing through the door via GMSV yet. Yeah, so they're saying um, Chevy, Chevy pickups. So we already get the um, yep. the, the Silverado um, SUVs and performance vehicles. So we'll probably see um, a few. We could even see the Arcadia make its way back in some form, um, as that's a, a GMC vehicle. Yeah. Um, look, there is a there is a really good lineup in America of these vehicles, which I do. When I was over there, I go, oh, man, I wish we had this selection over here. Not sure how many they would sell. Um, even though, if we look at Ram numbers, even Silverado, that fact that there seems to be a really big interest in pickup trucks, even if they are probably a little bit more expensive than they really should be here, um, so that would get that you know that mass market appeal. But, yeah, um, I think that like the new gen, new generation like Tahoes and things like that. Yeah. I think there's a there's a bit of space there because you've only got patrol and land cruiser filling yep. that yeah that that upper luxury space and i know you can get quite a good uh, quite a few good features in the um in the tahoe specs is that they've got a whole bunch of um different luxury packs and things you can get in in that space i, I think there's a bit of opportunity there i wouldn't be too keen on um bringing the acadia back and then slapping a you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollar premium on the conversion process for that mm. particular vehicle. I think it was priced okay where it was in that sort of starting mid forties, going up to um, sixty. Yeah, it was in in the right spot. But eighties pushing if, your luck for an Acadia, I think. Yeah, if it, it depends on the nature of the relationship. If if it's a direct deal with General Motors and if they are serious about maintaining some sort of presence um, in right-hand drive markets, because it was also, um, we'll, we'll touch on it later, but there is a bit of a talk about how this GMSV could have like a global footprint for right-hand drive markets. So if they're able to get the right deal done where essentially GMSV aren't buying fully completed vehicles, you know, who needs the dash when you go and rip it out? anyway yep. um it means that general motors can save that part for another vehicle so it's you know lowers their manufacturing cost as well if there's certain things which they can do um and they can get around in terms of the import rules as well because that's another factor that normally why they have to bring in a fully finished factory car and they can't just um take a, a partly finished one and all that kind of yep. jazz so if they're able to navigate that around and, and hopefully if it does get to that point you know our government would be on the side of encouraging that um, and allowing yep. that to happen, I think that we could see some really cost-effective conversions done. Um, because also, I also think in the back of my mind, well, what happens to all those dashboards which they rip out? Like, you know, if they, if Walkinshaw has the capacity to do like ten thousand vehicles a year, well, that's ten thousand dashboards they rip out and essentially put to the rubbish. You know? Um, oh, they. 
they'd be recycled and turned into prams for orphans or something. Yeah, so <laughs> right, <you> know, straight <laughs> straight in the bin, really. I mean, you can't really do anything with them. But whether or not no. they'll be able to ship them back, um, you should. Yeah, you could part them out for spares and send them back to the US, back on the boat in the empty box you got in the whack it on eBay. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your gum tree. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but but look, you know, so that's that's a big question. There's a lot of questions around this. I think um, the acceleration of reaching a decision probably has slowed down a lot because of the the current pandemic. Um, yep. I think a lot of negotiations probably would have been put on hold or no one's really that eager um, to do those discussions because, well, no one or some people manufacturing again, but, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I don't think there's a really big race to do anything right this very second whilst there's still uncertainty around everything. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll just- As you continue on down that article too, the... Um- the one from which car they're talking about the you know what happens after the fact too for the actual vehicles for supercars it's a little bit off off the off the side there a bit of a side issue obviously yeah. very important to uh, mr walkinshaw though um no camaro so what do they do for supercars no commodore yeah, yeah. just just briefly can you do a corvette in supercars i wouldn't think so no no, I don't, I, I, it it wouldn't it wouldn't fit the current regulations anyway. I think no. the Mustang already looks ugly um, <laughs> in its supercar form. It the, does, the but holy Jesus, it's fast. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah. Could you imagine a, a mid-engine Corvette um, fitting that car of the future chassis? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you'd be heading to a, a Toyota Supra, a NASCAR kind of situation. Um, mm. But anyway, let's move on to the news. We've got a huge list of stuff. Um, So one thing we'll just touch on very basically, um, Audi have extended warranties and extended warranties. So your new car warranty and extended warranty, if it expires between the 1st of March and the 31st of March this year, Audi have extended that warranty until August 31. um, And it affects all cars produced in Europe, Brazil, Mexico, and India. So they haven't really done anything in terms of a blanket let's call, you know, all cars sold in Australia where the warranty ends between that time. They've gone for where the car is produced, which isn't as clear, but I think Europe, Brazil, Mexico, and India pretty much covers off most models anyway. Um, I know that India covers off like the A3, um, most of the high volume selling cars. Um, so it's not it's not the clearest press release, but at least it's if you've got a car, an Audi, which warranty expires between, you know, March and, and May, double check because you might be able to get that that warranty will be extended automatically until August thirty one. Um, so it's just a good thing to know um, moving forwards. I'm I'm wondering what doesn't fit like obviously they've made that specific statement about the regions what what doesn't come from well i tried to have a look and the list was too long like i didn't make that many cars now um that i i started off looking at the india vehicles and i'm like oh this is going to be too much effort so um (laughs) uh there's because there's no simple list of they could have put a list together of what vehicles are excluded um it would have been easier but uh, i think most vehicles 
that we have in Australia anyway covered under that. But it's best to check with um, your local dealer. They'll be able to tell you. Um, I'm sure they've put a bulletin together um, for internal usage that's probably a lot clearer than the press release they put out. Um, yeah. So, call your first, dealer is the short answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's the And hopefully they know. If not, contact Audi Australia and they'll definitely know. Um but yeah, so it's 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 a good move, um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a nice move because I haven't seen too many other manufacturers come out and do that either. Yeah, no, it's I mean, from a from a reliability perspective, if utilization goes down, which obviously it has, because no one can drive anywhere, or we can now, yeah. but um, for the last couple of weeks, um, the chance of breaking stuff is quite low. Um, yeah, so it's I it's, think a, the it's one a good wheelchair, quite a low risk one. Yeah. One thing worth remembering is that I think the time based, but the kilometers still count. So don't. Yeah, that's right. You know, don't exceed the kilometre limit. Um, I think that is just one thing to keep in mind. But again, just always um, give the dealer a call and they'll be able to give you more um, more information uh, yeah. around that. But next, uh, Skoda seems to be uh, bringing a Scala range. Um, this is the first time I've seen it. It looks pretty interesting. It's a bit of a wagon. Um but it seems to be the the first Skoda model that brings wireless CarPlay um, for Apple devices. How good is that? Um, yeah, it's it's great. Hopefully, it has wire- yeah, it has wireless charging as well because it's seemed to be in most cars the two things that never come together: wireless charging and Apple CarPlay uh, and the wireless CarPlay. Um, there's no point having wireless CarPlay when it uses a lot of your battery, but you can't wirelessly charge. If you still have to plug in a cable, <laughs> it's got yeah, a little point, point um, yeah. to doing it. So it's good to see some. Has thought and said, "Hey, let's put those two things together." Um, it's that not makes a lot uh, of sense. Android Auto wireless. I haven't read. Uh, they don't mention it, um, but it, it does say that it does have Android Auto, so it's probably just via the cable. Um, yeah. If you have an Android device, yeah, um, I kind of. I, I've been finding, I've been getting the occasional bugs that happen with Android Auto, which kind of drive me crazy. I haven't been plugging in a lot lately, to be honest. I've been relying on the on the particular vehicles uh, entertainment system and giving that a, a good thorough checkout. But have you guys been having yeah. any issues with obviously your Apple Car um, your Apple? Uh, Ash, what about you, Joel? Are you Apple or Android? I'm Apple. I don't generally have a problem. Most of the times I find they're pretty good. There was something I drove a while back that just constantly had problems and constantly kept crashing, but I can't remember off the top of my head what that was. Um, it mentions in the in the release that while a smart link, Apple CarPlay only at launch, Android Auto available later in 2020. Woo! Yep. Yeah, I, I've so I've got a Huawei P30 Pro as well um, mm. that I've been playing with for a little bit, and I I find both just as unreliable moving between different cars. Like most, <laughs> yeah. I'll say that about ninety ninety five percent of the time it works without a problem completely. Um, it works great, but I find that. It, and it really depends on the car, not even the brand, but it depends on the car where some yep. cars, if you plug in the cable to your iPhone before you yeah, turn the car it. on, yep. it doesn't like it. Um, on other cars, it goes, no problem, sees it, launches straight into CarPlay, and you're off. Um, yep. Other ones, you have to wait until the car's on, then plug it in. So it's, it's a bit of a hit and miss, and I don't think it's purely the car maker's fault 
nor do I think it's the device maker's fault. I think it kind of lies somewhere in between the middle. Because um, I did have a, I, I remember it was a Su- Suzuki Vitara. And um, it worked absolutely fine in CarPlay. I was moving from the auto to the to the manual, and um, the auto it worked fine every time, no problems. And then I jumped into the manual, and it just did not work. Um, and I drove it back to Suzuki, and they said, "No, no, no! It's got to be my device. It's going to be the cable. Is it a genuine cable?" And I said, "Yes, it's a genuine cable. It's." And, and anyway, any other device that I, you know, I've got a second cable that I use, but it's made for it's made for iPhone certified, so it meets like the Apple standards and that kind of thing. Um, and they thought that I was crazy. They brought another device, and it worked frustratingly. Um, but then when <laughs> I would plug it back in, it would all test different cables, and then they said they resigned to the fact that okay, we'll just switch switch the two head units between. We had the auto and the manual sitting next to and they said, well, let's just switch them over. And straight away, as soon as that switch unit turns on, it works. Um, right. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I haven't been able to get a straight answer out of any manufacturer. I haven't been able to get a straight answer out of Apple um, as to why just it fails to work sometimes and i yeah. don't think and i think it's sometimes and we've seen this with bmw and um toyota where they've been resistant to to having carplay um put in because they don't want to share that data with apple because um, it does require a lot of diagnostic information to be sent back um to apple when you plug in and so I think it's probably one of those things where we'll have these issues continuously because yeah, neither IP of these two companies really want to. Yeah, they really don't want to share more than they have to, and they go yeah. and they probably both of them think, well, if it works ninety five percent of the time, well, that's good enough. Um, when you're talking, you know, a billion active devices in the world, so um, yeah, it's one of those things that uh, hopefully gets better. Um, it doesn't impact me too much. It's only if I'm somewhere where I'm don't know where i am and i'm relying on the maps and then the whole system yep. crashes that's where i get really annoyed at it um and i've had that's that not getting lost that's times. an adventure ash you should be looking forward to that <sighs> turn gpi, not when you're GPI low on fuel and you don't know where the fuel station is that's you know. <laughs> that's the pain um I, I do like to look at the, the um, i do like to look at the scalar though is it scalar scalar it's i don't know but scalar yeah because i've found the the fabia is is a fraction small, but I've always liked the Fabia Monte Carlos. They always look pretty cool. They always catch. Yeah, they're a good, good little car. That thing. They could not. They're a little bit like on that you said, like a bit on the small side. But um, yeah, this being a bit more of a wagon. And did you note, Mick, uh, that it's manual? I did. I did six speed manual on all three of the specs, which is which is impressive. And it's got the one one ten TSI as well. They haven't mm. gone down to like the little seventy sevens or anything. Which is a ripper engine. Yeah, this should yeah this should be a fantastic little car yeah. to drive. I'm um, twenty seven grand drive away entry point. Yeah, I was going to say in terms of the value proposition, it is fantastic. Um, and Skoda tends to be. I think a lot of people overlook Skoda um, they as do a brand when they go shopping. Yeah. Um, even though a lot of the technology is stolen from a more expensive Volkswagen anyway. Um, yeah. But I like the. I think Skoda's hit 
for the last few years have rid a really good stride um, yep. with their design as well. They're the most um, underrated car selling in Australia, yeah. I reckon, at the moment. Yeah. And they get forgotten when they shouldn't because they're so well specced and they're just mm. such a good looking car and they're good to drive and they've got such a good range, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, I had a friend um, at work talking about um, what to buy and I recommended to him to go and, to go and get a Skoda. Um, mm. Octavia was looking at the Golf and the Octavia, um, looking for wagons, and I sent him Skoda's way, and they wouldn't sharpen the pencil as much as the VW um, Golf, uh, the VW dealer did. So that's the only reason he ended up going with the mm. with the Volkswagen. But I, I tend to find the Skodas. Uh, I, th- I think I just prefer them a little more because they're a little bit different. But um, I'd probably hazard a that- guess, Mick. That it, he, it was probably the time of the month that he walked in. It was just when yeah, the Volkswagen day. were pushing yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of vehicles that day. Um, yeah, because yeah, he um, he's the kind of guy too to to go in, and if you don't, um, well, he won't come to the table if you're not giving him breakfast. He'll yeah. Yeah, yeah, just walk yeah. straight out again. He's, he <laughs> did not have a lot of patience, but um, because even but, yeah. with this pricing lineup, I do like that. Um, you know, in terms of driveway, I, I find this very confusing because they list both a recommended retail price and driveway, and so the entry level one ten TSI manual, the recommended retail price is twenty seven six ninety, but the driveway is twenty six nine ninety. Um, but when you go to the launch edition at the top, it's thirty four six ninety, and the driveway is thirty five nine ninety. So um, mm. uh, something funny. Going, but, I, but but what I was going to say is that I like that the the lineup is very simplified. It's not complicated, and yep. there isn't a huge disparity between the entry level and the top of the range model. Oh, um, I was mistaken there too. I did say manual on all three editions, but in that table, it's not. So yeah, it's just uh, like just probably, I, I, I'd, I'd stop there. I think. But anyway, that, that's just me. Um, have you guys been in the um, in Skoda's recently? What, what have you guys driven in that? I drove the Ka- I drove the Kodiak last year and absolutely yep. loved it. Um, yeah. I think it's I think it's a brilliant brilliant car. It's a probably look for me. I'm always a bit all about space and size. Um, the it's just a little bit small boot space for me, but that, that's that's a personal thing. I think for most people that would want to buy them for. Um, for families and stuff, it's absolutely perfect. Um, the infotainment system in them is absolutely brilliant. The seats are so comfortable. Um, yeah. It's the clever little things, like in the back seat, the fold-down um, headrest that allows you to have a sleep. You can literally fold down these arms in the headrest that allow you to have a to, to lean into them like you would on a plane. Oh, really? Okay, um, yeah. And in the back seat as well, or sorry, in the boot, they generally have two blankets as well. So it's it's a family car. Like if you want a definition of a family car, Skoda's just uh, so well designed in, in that respect. Um, I, you can't knock a car that comes with umbrellas and the armrests. That's pretty handy. In the doors. <laughs> yeah, in the doors. Yeah. Also, have you seen their, um, their door guards? So when you open yes, the door, the little so rubber clever. cover comes out. Yeah, that is, yeah, yeah. Well, but I think that just highlights that they've thought about it from a f- practical family point of view. Yeah, um, which I think a lot of brands even you know still struggle with that that core concept of who's your market for this car and how can you make that desirable to them. Um, over that time, there's still some makers out there that build a really good car, but just not exactly who 
you know the marketing lines it up for um yeah yeah they need that that unique selling point we always yeah talk about you need something to make people think oh that yeah that brand not that umbrellas mm-hmm. are the only thing that make me think of skoda but um it's uh, certainly well, when there. you say umbrella, umbrellas in the door, I think of Rolls Royce. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. But I mean, they they kind of they they fit that space that used to be, um, you know, back in the sort of early two thousands or even late nineties. The um, the Saab, the Subaru Liberty space. Yeah. You know, there's people that do things a little bit more differently. I mean, they've I know they focus heavily on the cycling. Um, sort of key outside of the market my little brother does a lot of cycling and mm. um you know he watches the tour de france like oh uh, yeah or well, you F1. see skaters yeah yeah so you see skaters everywhere there in that regard um i'm i, I don't know I, I want to wish them to do better in the market i want to mm. urge it i want to make it happen because um my little brother has a skater as well he's just got the um the 110 uh six-speed manual octavia wagon um, it's he's had it for a few years now, and um, I love to steal it off him every time I go to Victoria. Um, but yeah, they're they're a great product, and hopefully, you know, with these kind of expansions, they're going to get um, a bigger bite of the cherry. Mm. And the fact yeah. that that one ten is so so well spec, like the spec list on that is unbelievably good in terms of it's, it's got an auto tailgate. Uh, on a on the entry point on a car that's twenty, say twenty seven grand, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And what's interesting and um, kind of weird for a European car, but sign of the times is um, no diesel. Yeah, it's just petrol. That I said that out loud, so, mm. yeah. But they've simplified it. They've simplified <laughs> yes. the system by yeah, putting exactly. the one ten in it, yeah. um, yep. which is a ripper engine, and it yeah. doesn't. You don't need a diesel. That petrol no. engine is so good, but it's also so economical. Mm-hmm. I drove it in a Golf, uh, not last year, the year before, as a rental car, and was so impressed with it. Like in terms of just how good it was, just how good it was on petrol, but mm. just how good and nippy it was driving it around um we had it on the gold coast for a week and it was so much fun to drive i loved it i, I couldn't, yeah. couldn't get over how good is how good as, is it when you go to uh the rental desk and you get a base model golf as your as your rental runabout it's it's like getting in your hotel room and finding a free bottle of wine i couldn't, just, I couldn't <laughs> believe it i was so so pumped because i knew that we'd be doing a bit of driving on that trip um yep. But the the biggest thing that got me was obviously I did when I went to load it up the boot wasn't big but I hadn't noticed when we first loaded stuff in that the boot separator was up and not down so we lost our uh, yeah. depth in it in terms of how much space you have uh, yeah. obviously gets deeper when you put the boot spacer down lower um, yeah. but yeah it was a brilliant little car so good so much fun to drive mm. and the DSG was 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 actually quite impressive. Yeah, so I guess the message there is if anyone's looking at Volkswagens, make sure you have a look at Skoda as well because, well, oh, I think they look better, but that's that's just me. Yeah. And the dealers, you know, from I've met a couple of the dealers from around the country and they're all really passionate and they all love the brand, so they mm. always want to look after their customers. So, mm. you know, you can't go wrong. Yeah. And it will still, even if you buy a Skoda, it will feel like a Golf because they use the same door seals. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, but look, let's uh, move on. We've got um, 
just announced is the Evoke and Discovery Sport SUVs can have a plug-in hybrid option. Um, it seems to be that they've confirmed that it will be coming to Australia and um, with deliveries starting the second quarter of 2021 and um, pricing to, to start uh, or will be announced closer to that launch. But so these plug-in hybrids, kind of like the FEV um, Outlander, will have 66 Ks of range. So it's a little bit more range, but kind of the same um, same idea, yep. um, but with a slightly more powerful engine. So it's going to have 147 kilowatt three-cylinder um, 1.5 liter petrol engine. Yeah, interesting. And no CVT, eight-speed yeah, auto. That's that's stuck out at me. And that's actually, I'll just quickly diverge to uh, Hyundai and their uh, Ionics. I like the one in the middle, the plug-in hybrid electric, because it comes with a DCT, which you can play with a little bit more and get a little bit more fun out of. If you press the sport button in a in the Fev Ionic, that is actually quite a fun car to drive. And I know, obviously, the eight speeds. Um, I drove the Evoque last year. <clears throat> That's already a very, very competent um, and comfortable car. Yeah, with cool. the with the addition of that um, electric motor, that that'll be a really nice car to drive. I think. Yeah. And it's going to use, so here's, this is where I think we're going to see a lot more smarts built in. So the Genesis with, you know, it, it learns how you drive and then it adapts that to the um, the auto, you know, the, the cruise control. Um, this here will actually um, use GPS and navigation data to act, optimize efficiency. Um, so to run only in electric mode or combustion engine or combination. So it's going to use that to know, okay, you're coming up to a really big hill. So yep. we're running long power so it's going to kick in before and so it's not going to be this sometimes a really disjointed kind of not a great driving experience as the car figure out it's too late what it needs to be doing so um, I think we're going to see more and more of that but it's nice to see this stuff coming through and um, it's probably going to be one of those things that gets overlooked um, by a lot of people because it should just happen naturally behind the scenes that's the best kind Um, of engineering though isn't it where you get the benefit but you don't really perceive something occurring you just get the you just get the results at the end which is until they silently remove that feature and everybody realizes how good it was (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right um but yeah so that should be good and it does um you can get up to 80 percent of a charge um from empty in about 30 minutes using a 32 kilowatt charger so um that should be most charges even the ones that we have around brisbane um that should be most of them um or an hour and a half using um just a a plug into a 240 volt plug at home so that's that's not too bad that's i think that's a pretty decent um charging rate um for something like that and 66ks it's kind of like Again, reminds me of the Holden Vault. 66Ks is just enough for, you to, for most people to, to drive into work and home again. Um, if you live, for example, in and around Brisbane um, or for you, Mick, it's like, you know, it's coming from home to work, plug it in at work and then drive it home again. Almost. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm 100, it's 114 kilometres to work from my house. <sighs> so you'd, you'd save some fuel anyway. <laughs> I would. I would. Um, um, yeah, how, so that how, should be good. Um, how far did you get the vault to go? I got 99 kilometers out of it. Yeah, I get about 80 to 85 yeah. um, when I was doing it. it. It it did a lot better than it said it would on paper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really miss that car. That was an excellent car for its time. Mm. Um, 
Um, but with the with the evoke, <laughs> did you have a play with the three D uh, with the with the see through front end um, camera? Yeah, it's no, really cool. I haven't, I haven't had a chance awesome. to drive that yet. Yeah, very so, clever. Yeah, so it's basically the forward facing camera looks at the road. Um, and delays there's a little bit of a delay as far as the image getting to the driver but it basically records what the terrain is so you can look down and it's sort of looking through the vehicle so you can see where your front wheels are maserati do something similar with the um levante Levante. as well yeah i thought that was really cool it was i mean it was you could say it was a bit of a novelty but at the time i was looking at some um uh, a property on the side of the hinterland up at the sunny coast mm. and i hadn't been down that road before and um well, i didn't buy the block of land because the the driveway was horrendous but i managed to navigate the driveway without falling off down the cliff um <laughs> by utilizing that <laughs> that capability so it certainly wasn't superfluous to me at the time um i, but I think yeah, that's what land rover's done a really good job of is introducing we see this in um their range rovers all over the you know the, yep. the spectrum of their offerings and the technology they're building in um probably goes a little bit underutilized here in australia a lot of people who are buying these vehicles aren't taking them off-road um or doing serious off-roading with them like i think probably older um defender buyers probably would have um yeah so a lot of this tech probably goes underutilized but if you if anybody gets a chance to do um if they bring it back again the art of performance tour um which is primarily a jaguar thing but they normally add on a land rover experience onto that where you do a little bit of off-road driving the show how it all works go and do it and do the land rover experience because it will blow you away that even a two hundred thousand dollar autobiography how well it does off-road and how much tech is built into it to make that off-roading experience as comfortable as you could possibly experience um doing it and whilst also keeping it safe so allowing you to see everything that's going on um the cameras they built in the smarts of it yeah it's and it's great to see that even that comes down to you know the evoke and um you know of course it's just the the discovery sport but yeah it's i think a lot of people don't realize how much effort land rover put into these vehicles and the technology that that underlies it so it's um yeah it's going to be cool to see some of the stuff come through even more but let's keep smashing through some of this news. Um, BMW, we'll just touch on very quickly. Um, they've released a bit of a press release talking about how they've adapted their um, their business model. So we, we've spoken about it in the past. They've, um, you know, they're doing the the bring it to you test drives, the the video calls to show you through um, the 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 cars that they have on their lots. Even though it, you know they are still open, you can go and visit them. Um, but also one thing which they did mention is that if you have a BMW servicing program, so normally when you buy the car, um, you get the option to, to add like a three-year or five-year servicing package onto that for an upfront cost and then you sort of have those servicing costs covered over a period of time after that. Um, what they're saying is that um, if you've had your service program expire and you need, and you have that last service due, if you haven't been able to go and get that car serviced um, during this time because of the, of the things, you, they've extended that so you can get that last service in. So that's that's a good move by them. Um, and it just highlights that, that the car market is probably going to see um, a bit of change over this time and, and they're still working hard to, to, I guess, help 
find those buyers that are out there um, and, and make it the most you know convenient way possible. Yeah, obviously a good move by them. Um, even just like the idea of presenting this stuff, they're all really good ideas, but just keeping that presence as well, saying, hey, we're still doing this stuff. I know they'd, of course. they'd still be keeping a lot of communication to their customers as well. I'm, my um, in-laws have got a, a mini um, Cooper, I don't know what it is, little four-door green thing, nice little car. Um, but... My father-in-law also, also does talk all the time about the level of communication being quite good. Mm. They're always kept in the loop. Um, the only thing that bugs them is they keep asking them to name the mini, and he's he's a farmer. To say it's Cooper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's obviously noticed a big. Um, um, it's obviously stood out to him how much communication you get from those premium brands going up from. Um, Oh, previously he had a Mazda and he's had a few other bits and pieces, but yeah, Mini he's been quite impressed with. They yeah they want to say hello, you know. That's a that's one of those differences I think you get with the premium brands that they mm-hmm. have a much more personalised service. Well, I think it's I think everybody acknowledges that how competitive that premium market is too. Um, yeah. And these days, I think buyers aren't as fiercely passionate about one brand as they used to be. Um, and so the switching and the switching cost is fairly low to go from one brand to the other. So um, it's very important how particularly premium brands maintain that customer relationship because we say it all the like I, I experience it all the time. If you don't feel like that. A particular brand that you deal with frequently um if you feel like they don't really care about you well you're more inclined to go and look somewhere else to see you know someone else will show that level of you know attention that you're looking for so it's 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 a good move and um hopefully these types of levels of communication um and level of service actually remains once we slowly get back to a level of normality um, because I think this is a great way to differentiate you know each brand um, on how willing you know they are to adapt to a particular customer's needs yeah yeah I mean it's I guess talking with um, Lexus and in, in Pilly a couple of weeks ago they were I was told they're still doing the same sorts of things they were doing before, but they're just sort of highlighting the fact that, hey, we still do personalised service and we'll pick up your car for a service and get you, um, you know, the the complimentary car while your car's getting serviced and all those sorts of things. They're reiterating service points that they already had, you know yeah. what I mean? Because um, even, you know, again, the same sort of thing about communication. Some people don't realise that you get, that high level of service with the premium brands anyway. That's true. And there's a few things, you know, BMW are reiterating things they've already done here as well. They've got some great new initiatives as well. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think some people would be quite surprised when they take that little extra step um, going above the, um, the the more accessible brands. When you get into that premium space, there is a lot of – additional benefits that come with it even if it is just a warm and fuzzy feeling because why shouldn't you feel warm and fuzzy about um, about your car or spending a little bit of extra money those sorts of things that you forego when you're trying to save a few a few bucks which is fair enough Mm. not everybody can afford to to get into that premium space um you know there are little treats there you if you can get up into it if you can get to that space yeah well, Joel, um, 
this is one that uh, I think you you popped into the chat where um, Australia could be getting the Toyota Corolla wagon. Um, do you think this is something that we could see and something worthwhile um, bringing to the Australian market? Toyota has said for a while that it's not something that's been on their radar, mainly because that we get our cars from Japan and the production of the wagon was only done in uh, the UK. Um, and it yeah. was mainly designed for the UK market, so uh, we there was a chance that we that we wouldn't probably definitely see it because, as I said, our cars come from Japan. But there's been some retooling at the factory in Japan, and they're now producing the wagon over there. So, look, Toyota haven't said anything about it yet. They haven't added it to the lineup. We'd love to see it happen. Um, Sorry, guys, I'll be back in a second. I'm just going to write an email. Okay. <laughs> so we we would love to see it. I mean, I'm a massive fan. I've driven the hatch in a couple of different form versions. Um, I think it's a brilliant car. The wagon would probably certainly help the lack of space that you have in the lack of boot space you have in the the Corolla. Um, yeah. The wagon looks fantastic. Uh, it looks absolutely amazing in terms of what Particularly it is. Particularly in that purple the, yeah, the article has. that colour. I've like seen it. it in the silver as well. The the Toyota UK, I think, had some photos um, mm. of it. Um, every time this sort of story reappears in, in the media, uh, I generally comment on it just because I'm a massive fan. I'd love to see it happen. Um, I would seriously probably consider buying one. Um, particularly if they did like the hybrid, like the Z- a ZR version of it here, mm. um, because that that car is so good to drive. It's such a nice little car, particularly with the hybrid system. Um, and I'm not the only one. There's a few of my friends and a few other guy people that I've seen in the, the media that would love to see it here. Um, you know, Mick and I are. <laughs> fans of the hashtag wagon love comment that I'm pretty sure he started a few years ago now and I've kind of pinched the news whenever I see something (laughs) that is that cool so look you know we just don't know I think at the moment everything's kind of sort of up in the air in terms of what future markets will hold because of the, the car market and stuff like that but you know I would certainly love to see it happened here. There apparently is also a touring sports version in the in the UK that has a or for the Euro, Euro market, which has a twenty mil suspension lift, underbody protection, yep. and wheel arch oh, flares. Yeah, cool. That nice. would be cool to see because um, mm-hmm. it obviously takes it to the Ford Focus Active and. Yep. Um, is a certainly you know certainly interesting thing, but um, again, that's a European model, so the chances of us seeing here are pretty pretty slim. Um, but look, oh, whilst you know, we're at it, let's just uh, do a Gazoo Racing version too. I yeah, well, they're featuring been, it now. There's been <laughs> you talk took the of words a, out of my mouth. Sorry, you know, I was writing the email, but yeah, <laughs> there's um, been talk of a Gazoo Racing Corolla for a while. But you know, we'd just love to see. You know, we'd love to see it happen. The Corolla has been a good seller here. Um, you know, I would think it probably would be an interesting one to put into, say, the um, the rental car market as well in terms of, you yeah. know, it'd be a good car to have for that. Certainly takes it to the likes of the, the i30 wagon, mm-hmm. um, the Focus wagon that's out there. So, you know, I think if Toyota were to look at those as an option. Um, I, I think even, like, coming out of the space that we're in now, um, you know, I would, I'd foresee something like a, um, a Corolla Touring being around the sort of high 20s, low 30s mark. Um, I think we'll f- we may find some people trying to look at saving money as far as running costs and the like go mm-hmm. and potentially moving away from SUVs. I mean, 
um, I'm, I'm not a religious man. I'm praying for it. But, um, you know, I'd, <laughs> I would like to see these sort of wagons turning up because they still give you that a similar level of practicality as what the mm. uh, the mid and smaller SUVs give you, but obviously much better running costs. And when you when you pair it with the Corollas, um, as you said, the, the excellent hybrid system, the fuel efficiency out of those things is ridiculous and incredibly accessible. Um, you know, as we... Well, about surely having a wagon like this satisfies the need for those people who are looking at a RAV4 because they want the space. Well, shouldn't yep. this fit the bill apart from just More that extra... to access the hybrid powertrain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, exactly. In terms of if... And if they do do that, it opens up that market for, you know, for the likes of rec vehicles and stuff like that, people that have been using... Um, yeah, you know, other true. models. There is a heap yeah. of sort of i30 wagons on the market that are mm. diesel and stuff that have been used for rep vehicles that have got really high Ks on them. Um, yeah, yeah. We know Toyota are a reliable car. This again would be a perfect fleet car for that for that market because of oh, the space. Yeah, I'm thinking and- about those. Uh, this is the same too, like those inner city um, small businesses and cafes and things like that, which were is yeah. where I thought the Astra wagon would have done well, but mm-hmm. um, they, they didn't get up and running. Um, whether or not people have gone for the SUVs or not, but these these smaller I wagons... I think that was just know, a different thing of price issue. I think that they just... <laughs> just kind of missed the mark a little bit um, yeah yeah they were yep i think you're right there yeah but i think this looks good we'll have photos up um but it looks good i think pricing wise if they do do it toyota has the ability to price it correctly i think that's probably the one thing they usually do pretty well is get that pricing right yeah um hybrid great I could even see it being a bit of a basis for a Prius version. You know, you've got Prius V, which is larger. Um, You've got Prius C that fits like that Yaris kind of size. A Corolla-sized Prius um, wagon, I think, could also work pretty well. Um, Yeah, so hopefully, fingers crossed, I think, but we'll probably be a little while until we work out... um, if if we you know if we have a greater chance of something like that coming along, um, but make sure you send that email. You can attach me onto that too, Mick. Um, just let them know that yes, <laughs> we're interested. Uh, but next, sure. so next up, Porsche. Just like a, a huge number of different uh, manufacturers this week are uh, building cars again. Um, they're ramping up their production. Um, but I think for us the. Uh, well, personally, what I'm more excited about is the production starting again. Also marked the um, beginning of the uh, of the Nurburgring prototype testing days for the manufacturing. Um, and yeah. there's some good videos that have come out of that first particular day where it was like the tourist days, but just in terms of pop, you know how busy it was, but it was all prototypes from all different manufacturers. So um, one was the the Cayman GT4 RS, um, but there was also um, facelifted five series that that leaked um, not too long ago, an i20N, Kona N, um, huge list. There was one car that not many people could figure out, but kind of sounded like it could be and looks like a. Uh, Maybach hybrid of some sort or electric vehicle um, but yeah it's kind of this is for car lovers this is a one of those great marks of you know we're heading back to something you know to exciting things again when when the the YouTube 
prototype testing days, sneaky videos are showing a, a Cayman GD4 RS flying down the straight, and you can just hear that flat six just beautiful, the sound of it roaring through yeah. the forest. It's just amazing. After such a long period of, you know, isolation, nothing happening and all that sort of stuff, really they could have, you know, thrown out a, a base model Clio or something and everyone would have been excited. It's like having your first chip after eating porridge for six weeks. Um, but they've, <laughs> yeah. they've really just gone the full smorgasbord, haven't they? Everyone has just cut loose and it's good to see. Yeah, well, I think because um, a lot of the development continued um, yeah, Mustang, um, the Mac E even did that with Ford at over in the states where they actually had engineers taking cars home and working on those cars. So whether it be you know building the systems or parts, you know designing parts for them. Um, so I think even though the factories were shut down and and people were at home, a lot of the development was still happening, um, and particularly with three D printed parts and um, even. Um, when I've spoken to some people that I know who work in these, some of these companies, the the, the development process of using VR um, and augmented reality to work out even building processes, um, yep. I, th- I think it's you know that's part. Sorry, I just had to wait for that car to go past. It sounds good. Um, it was just. Uh, you know, so that's why I think these manufacturers are also to were able to come out of the gate running really um, with their, you know, with their development cards because you know all of that. Yeah, work we've has been doing been all done. the paperwork behind the scenes, just waiting for the for the fun stuff to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so exciting times. Um, it's good to see um, the the factories up and running again, particularly for people who are waiting for built to order cars like Porsche most most cars are built customized and so having those factories shut down just extended that pain of waiting a little bit longer <laughs> um, yeah so it's uh, it's good to see those things starting up again um, so Same too yeah. with, um, with Porsche in that uh, when they're talking about that that reopening uh, I remember we discussed the other week about um, you know the consequences of working in those areas and having to utilize yeah. Um, some of those materials that are going to be in, in demand, so face masks and the like. Um, and they've increased their donations to um, a few of those entities like medical institutions and food banks and the like to 5 million euros. That's mm. that's mm. a pretty substantial increase. So they're really um, you know, putting their hand up to help out um, outside of their factory as well. So um, yeah. it's good to see that, that commitment. Yeah, that's right. I think it's... Um it's, it's just going to be one of those things of, yeah, it's it's not going to be a full return to normal, but it's, you know, it's a start and um, a lot yep. of things are going to be changed moving forwards. Yeah. Um, but let's uh, let's skip ahead. Um, we're going to jump into some international news. Um, so we just spoke about um, Toyota, but so they've just let people know they've the big milestone of um, 15 million sales of hybrid vehicles. Um, so that's that was pretty just, impressive. Uh, Rav fours last year, I think, in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, and not including Prius taxis. Um, but no, yeah, right. it's a huge. But that's a huge milestone um, for for Toyota. It's uh, particularly when you know we mentioned I joked about the taxis, but that was probably one of the biggest things. Even I think in Australia, biggest proofs of concept that 
the hybrid models could work and they could work really well was when taxis realized that um, the batteries were lasting a lot longer. The maintenance costs were significantly less than they were used to. Um, and, you know, they they just worked and um, people responded well. They're a lot quieter. Um, and these days, it used to be, uh, even back in 2012, to even consider a hybrid Camry as a private buyer, you'd have to do something like 300,000 Ks in seven years to recoup that cost difference. Yeah. Um, but these days, that cost gap is a lot is, is significantly less um so i think it's yeah. um it's a great milestone to pass and to show that um you know the next question is is well at what point do Toyota go to full electric um or you know other alternative fuel sources you know that everyone's still working on hydrogen and we've discussed that before yep but um but i think it just shows that you know Toyota's strategy for hybrid vehicles has really paid off yeah, I talked about this with a uh, with an Uber driver or whichever one he was, Diddy or Dodo or whatever they're called, or it doesn't matter. You just ring one app and they all turn up. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. Um, and and he had a I can't remember what it was. It was a Hyundai maybe i thirty or a Lantra, an older older model, mm. and he's getting up to two hundred thousand k. So he's looking to replace it. And you know, I had a bit of a chat with him about sort of fuel economy he was getting out of it because he's like sitting around town a fair bit. Um, and when I told him about the Corolla hybrid um, sedan, I think I was just going to pick one up actually. And the price, he was just, he was looking at me like, are you serious? Is that like a real thing? I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they sort of average around four liters per hundred Ks. He's like, what? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, that kind of immediately went on his list. But I, I was the same as you the first time I saw a, and it's funny because, you know, you always got the, um, the characterization of vehicles being taxis are purely taxis because they're cheap. But the thing with taxis is they have to do a great at a huge amount of mileage, you know, you're talking about yeah. half a million kilometres. With you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty serious, um, and the duty cycle they have, people that own them, try and keep them running as much as possible. Because as we talked before about owning assets, you finance the asset, so every minute that it's sitting still, it's yeah. costing you money and not earning yeah. you money. Um, and I remember the first hybrid. Um, the first Prius taxi I got into, I was in Darwin and it was, you know, it still had the old um, sort of LCD displays and things and all the graphics were like, they weren't 8-bit, but you know what I mean? They were yeah. pretty old school looking graphics and this mm-hmm. thing was still tugging along at like 400 and I can't remember, it was over 400,000 Ks this thing had done. And there was a few things like a switch had fallen off somewhere and there was a light on that the driver didn't really care about. But this, it felt like being in. Uh, have you seen um, Blade Runner? Not not the new one, the old Blade Runner. Ah, uh, yeah, kind of, right. kind of what it felt like, sort of a, a world in disrepair, but a new world nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it still it still performed perfectly. It had no problems yeah. um, getting off the line, and we had the aircon running flat out, obviously, because we were in Darwin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the longevity of the of the hybrid systems is, um, I think, fairly well proven now. And I, there's not that same level of, um, you know, when you buy a hybrid now, you're no longer a, an early adopter. No. You, you're kind of catching up to a lot of people that have mm. already done that. Mm. And I think that 15 million shows, obviously, there are a lot of people driving hybrids yeah. around now. It doesn't yeah. feel so risky. Um, so, again, congratulations yeah. to them for sticking with it. Yeah. 
but I think the yeah. business kind of justified sticking with the idea anyway. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, moving on to the absolute flip side of fuel economy and saving money. Um, so the Alfa Romeo Giulia GTA is a model we don't get here. Um, we do get the the performance models of Quadrifoglio, um, which is about one hundred fifty thousand. Um, but I had I had to. I know we're on a tight time schedule today, but I had to mention this because this isn't just any. Julia from Alfa Romeo. So the GTA and the GTA M are like a special edition. It's limited to 500 cars. But what they're doing is they're releasing like these special liveries that you can order the car in. So not only can you have this special um, delivery experience, but you can kind of get these cars that look like hardcore race cars and it looks insane. You're talking like a 600 yeah. horsepower Alfa Romeo, but the eye-watering price for these... Heart, and this is probably a reason why we're not seeing it here in Australia, is that the price for these is 176,500 euros and 181,500 euros respectively for the GTA and the GTA M. Wow. And converted, that's about $300,000. Um, now, for 300000 I could probably think of a lot of other cars that I would be having in my garage before a, a Julia. Um, but I guess limited to 500 it's part of you know their 110th year of alfa romeo um special car but ah oh, man it looks cool but i don't know if i'd be buying it. <laughs> yeah i guess if you've got the means that's 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 where you're at but um yeah, i'd like I, there's something about alfa i mean it's not even because you know top gear the old thing they said years ago if you, you're not a real um car fanatic unless you've owned an alfa romeo no yeah um, I don't know whether I necessarily agree with that, but I do. I did used to love the old GTAs, the old racing um, versions of the GTAs. Mm, mm. Um, way back when I was a kid, that was the kind of thing I'd stick up on my wall. Um, so, you know, it's probably a good um, aspirational resurgence for, for those who've made it um, in their time since growing up to have that kind of, um, you know, dream realization when you're when you're older yeah. and why not make it um customized to um to represent that race car so mm, mm. And, and f- from all accounts the the julia is a, is a fantastic um car anyway in its own right absolutely it was it was the competition wake up that i think a lot of uh bmw mercedes and audi really needed yeah um to compete but yeah so look it's it's a car we'll never see here but um you'll probably see it the occasional you know um cars and coffee event youtube video um when one turns up i but, just um, like looking I'm, at them on the road the, the julia like whenever i see one mm, personally i think they look oh, yeah. far better the than the bmws version, yeah. and the it, they've, they've got it nailed as far as they just look exciting beauty. yes very italian yeah, yeah. well look, going back into the realm of um environmentally friendly but a bit of an oddity so it seems that lincoln so the the premium brand that we've had some sort of local version pop up we discussed last week but it's kind of weird because so earlier on in the week lincoln confirmed that they're going to making they're going to be making a an electric suv confirmed for 2022 working with um with rivian but then Two days later, they come out with a press release that's like three sentences long and says that they won't be developing a fully electric vehicle based on Rivian's 
platform. But for you know, Ford itself will be continuing with Rivian, but Lincoln will be making its own car with no platform from Rivian. Very weird. Did, do you think people, they shook hands and then woke up the next morning and said, hang on, that's not a good deal. We don't like that. And then, you know, have reneged or, or what's going on? It's a weird decision to, to make it, the, like the, the, the timeline over this. And, and I mean, the first line in the Lincoln press release is given the current environment. Well, obviously things have changed and maybe they've decided that it's not going to quite work. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's interesting, and I, I don't really know how to, to read it. But um, I think someone possibly jumped the gun, or you know, the, the the wording the the story came out earlier than what they'd originally thought, and sort of pushed into it maybe. And then obviously they yeah. decided that from an official point of view, it's it's safer to to go this way. So. Mm. Because it would make sense on paper. It's kind of like Toyota and Lexus using, the, you know, similar hybrid technology. The thing is, is that Lincoln is an extension of Ford. So it, wouldn't it make sense to be using those platforms which Ford are developing to reduce their development cost for the Lincoln version? I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a bit of a weird business um, decision. Sometimes we could say the American car companies aren't known for the best business decisions but you know it's um yeah a bit of an odd one given how it all all unfurled um it was announced then taken down and yeah distancing occurred so yeah i'm wondering if there's is still doing it so yeah i was gonna say i wonder if it had anything to do with um because obviously uh in the u.s their their main competitor is cadillac being the extension of uh general motors um you know they've got their own EVs coming out, the Lyric and a few others that um, have obscure names that I can't quite recall at the moment. Um, you know, I wonder if there's some sort of level of uniqueness with Link, and they're trying to create something that's individual of Ford and creating a sort of separation there. Whereas you can kind of point to your competition and say, "Oh, that Cadillac's just a gussied-up Chevrolet," um, which is what used to happen um, before. And you know, in the if we go back to the old traditional sense. Um, the big differentiation between Cadillac and some of those General Motors platforms was the fact that the Cadillac had its own engine. Uh, yeah. We were talking a few weeks ago mm-hmm. about that Blackwing um, yeah. version of the CT6. Um, um, you know, maybe there's a level of differentiation there that Lincoln want to establish that, put, that sets them apart from the um, development of the Ford products and kind of, kind of elevates them a bit above the um, Cadillac. Um, actually, yeah. just briefly, um, I don't know if you guys picked up on, there was a story that came out the week following the um, picture that you took, um, Joel, of the CT5 with the horrendous red, uh, allegedly their transport wheels, but the black one mm. that you saw in Melbourne. Um, there were rumours swirling about a Blackwing CT5 actually being in existence, so you may well have captured a, um, a CT5 Blackwing production mule that nobody else has seen so yeah wow okay yeah yeah that sort of popped back up after i um after i put your photos up so well if they're um if they're transport wheels i wouldn't want to be uh pushing that accelerator a little bit too hard because those transport wheels are known to just be rolled on rolled off and that's it so yep yeah uh yep but like, let's let's jump into some motorsport news. There's a few key things. Um, first one we'll just touch on very quickly. Audi's withdrawing from DTM. Um, what? 
Yeah, so if you're not familiar um, with DTM, think of it as like a, a much more popular version of um, and a lot more flexible version of supercars that we have down here focused in Europe. I don't know if that's really a fair description, but it's probably the most succinct one I could think of. Um, I've had people tell me that they reckon it's Formula One with a body. Like they reckon yeah. the amount of work and everything that goes on underneath those cars and the way that it's built and designed, they reckon that it's like a Formula One car, but with, you know, with a with a with a tin top over the top. So, yeah. well, if you look at um Chris Harris a little while ago did a video in an M4 DTM vehicle and and showed it and even just the process of getting in these, they they represent the production car but just think of if somebody got a, a mallet and squished them out made them super wide body not just a wide body body <laughs> kit but super wide body um and turn power all the way up to 11 that's kind of you know what they're like but um yeah but yeah they, it's big, it, it big is very entertaining that, racing but yeah yeah yeah, but obviously something it, it yep. doesn't align with Audi, given even though a lot of other manufacturers, you know, find that DTM is the the racing series to be part of in Europe outside of GT3. So what? Why? What's what's the purpose of? They're saying that they're in terms of changing their alignment with what they're doing, in terms of moving towards, um, again, similar to what we were talking about. For them, it's talking about aligning so that they follow their. they're green, effectively a green, like a green initiative. Um, they're really trying to work with it so that they're working in that uh, sort of um, hybrid system and stuff like that. So Audi, because they plan to generate about 40% of their sales with electric cars and plug-in hybrids. So they're moving down that format of wanting to be more green in that respect and so moving to support Formula E as their main area and I wouldn't be surprised possibly that if the story of the well if the electric rallycross car continues I wouldn't be surprised if Audi gets involved there um, as well because that again is in that same area Um, Mm. they've had good success in in um, World Rallycross so I wouldn't be surprised if they move down that but the way it reads is that they are basically looking at trying to they're saying that it's to do with um, the economic challenges due to the, the pandemic um, and saying that in terms of trying to save money effectively is the way that it yeah, kind of reads from optimi- the press release. Optimise um, their motorsport investment yeah. at, the most, at the most popular one. So, oh, not yeah. most popular, but the one that's going to pay off the most. <laughs> that's what they're there for. You know, I think it, it could also be the flow on from um, Dieselgate as well in terms of saving money and stuff like that. So Yeah, but I, I, don't th- I don't think that's really... I think Audi is kind of one of those brands that don't, you know, they did this to to the LMP1 class um, for the World Endurance Championship. Um, I think Audi tend to be. It's a bit. Of, I'd be a bit concerned for DTM in general because Audi tends to be the first one to exit. Uh, you know, uh, mm. a class, and then it's usually it's not too long after it's a season or two until you know the the next major manufacturers move on and look for the next thing. Um, so Audi, even though I think. Uh, it's like, well, why would you leave? Um, I think it's one of those things where it's a sign of Audi tend to be pretty forward-thinking, and I think money is not really the big issue. 
Um, I think it's more of they just it's just an easier scapegoat than just saying, well, we're not really interested in it any, anymore because um, that would upset fans. But they tend to do a pretty good job at identifying the next key um, racing series to be part of and... I'd be a bit concerned if I was DTM because I'm, I reckon BMW and Mercedes won't be too far behind um, if if it looks like Audi has sort of found what's next for them um, yeah. you know, in the short time. Because LMP1, after Audi left, it was really um, everybody else dropped out and Porsche and, and Toyota were left. And now I think Toyota's really the only ones left um, in LMP1. Competitive, even though yeah. Yeah, and it's, even though it's sad to see such a a special class sort of die um but yeah it was basically started by audi exiting themselves mm. um so it's sad news shocking news but um it's probably a, a, a it's one of those signposts of going okay it's time to start looking at what's the next racing series um in lieu I'll of bet you. i'll bet you it's not going to be um an e-series for touring cars because you can't get the level of uh, efficiency from a, a sports sedan profile to be able to manage the level of energy you need to store in the batteries to actually get mm. around the track enough times to make it exciting. Mm. Um, you know, this, you watch Formula E. It's it's not bad racing. It's not great racing. Um, but they don't really go fast enough to do much. No, and I find the street tracks really narrow. I don't know. Yep. It's just... Yeah, it's yeah. it's good. It's great to see it again. It's one of those things. It's love to see the development of it and for it to improve. I love the fan engagement for Formula E. I think that's a yeah. really interesting and unique aspect. Yeah, but it kind of needs it because um, you know it's because they're doing that to supplement other things it doesn't have. Um, yeah, I feel like when they get you know into that congestion in the um, into a corner, it just yeah. I don't know. It, it feels like you're at an amusement park, and you just like all the all the Dodger cars have got there at the <laughs> same it. time. Yeah, it's, yeah. They just sort of shuffle around and move around yeah. a little bit and make things happen. There's not that. At least they, at least those cars can fast. touch and they don't combust like a Formula that's One car. They as soon as they touch, they it's race over. Up. You know, yeah. that's it. Um, yeah. Speaking of Formula One, though, it seems like the target at the moment is to restart on July five in Austria at the at the um, I guess that's the Red Bull Ring, um, and uh, Auto Week put together a bit of a hypothetical seventeen race schedule um, for. 2020 season so hopefully we do it like it still feels like you know it's two months away at least uh, for formula one it still feels like it's too long until we see some formula one again Um, yeah particularly with this big lead up i i hope that until everyone put a freeze on everything it gave smaller teams a chance to fine-tune some things a little bit more that they might not have been able to do um, leading up to a race weekend, um, like for Australia um, or or China or anything like that. So, yeah, I I just really hope that it's not a complete shambles when we get that first race and it's, you know, it's Mercedes, Ferrari and and Red Bull and everybody else is, you know, right way at the back because (laughs) because the cars aren't working the way they should um, I yep. hope it's. I hope we have a really exciting start to the weekend, and we have some surprising performances because of you know the unique circumstance we're in at the moment. Um, and yep. yeah, anything, anything. I don't care. 
just make Formula One happen. <laughs> I right. just want to hear, the, like, you know, we all complained about when they went to the uh, hybrid era Turbo, and the, yeah. the exhausts, uh, you know, the sound of them going around the track is nowhere near as easy splitting as what it used to be. Um, but I've never looked forward so much to that droning, annoying hybrid engine noise <laughs> than I am yeah. right now. Please just turn <laughs> it up. I just, yeah. uh, I, yeah, it's it's funny to talk about, you know, something that's just a sporting event or whatever, but I, I really miss mm. having mm. race cars racing around on a track, particularly yeah. Formula One. Um, yeah, it'll be great to see them back when they actually do mm. get get things up and going again. I wonder if they, have they talked even, about... By the time- um, they talked about any other pre-kickoff testing, or is it just straight into Austria and straight into well, not, not straight that into I've the barriers? Moment, but, I think know. I think it's going to go at the moment anyway. It's going to be straight into it. Um, I think well, it's partially a cost thing, um, but there's even I think there's still a lot of things to be worked out because there's still another article talking that there could be even you know two races in a weekend um, kind of situation. Oh, so. Wow. Um, which or, we all race back to, to back weekend to weekend yeah. at the same circuit, so they won't leave the circuit. Yeah, so which I don't know how I feel because there are certainly tracks that favour teams more than others, um, and I and I'm I'm concerned that we'll just see the same result if we have two races back to back. Unless oh, no, they're doing reverse the grid, aren't they? To do a lot of setup changes. They're going to do reverse um, grid to compete against the iRacing, so. <laughs> Well, we've seen in the Formula One, the, the you know the virtual E series that the reverse grids make things a lot more interesting. So, I bet they do, um, yes. let's you know, I'd be all for that. I'd love to see that type of stuff. It it works great for supercars. Um, I think it it just gives it, it it gives the opportunity to great drivers to show how good they are by working through the field rather than just being at the front and you yeah. know cutting through some blue flags at the towards the end. Yep. Um, yeah, so I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Um, oh, that let's fight about that another week too, blue flags. Yeah. Get them out. Get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but look, if you... Um, Mick, if you do want some, some noise... Um, keep an eye out ken block has just released um the latest vehicle conf- concept um based on is it, a, is it a wagon? boxy mustang um, no but it's a fox body mustang which is the next coolest car ever oh yeah, fox body, so, right. it's, cool. so it's they call it the hoona fox hoony fox hoona fox um <laughs> but it's basically like uh it, it the design itself has been done by the um uh like i think it's the his name is escaping me, but the the guy who designed the Batmobile for the new Matt Reeves, the Batman movie, um, so it's the same designer who's applied, and so he's great. I've reached out to him to do an interview with him at some time, but um, he's done a whole heap of designs for vehicles um, across a whole heap of different movies. Um, he actually was a, a vehicle designer at um, at GM. Um, and one of his vehicle concepts was like the original um, Holden Colorado design oh, of right. the, the generation that's now defunct. But um, yeah, so that Colorado design, he had a hand in at the very beginning. Um, but he's done like Hobbs and Shaw, all, all of those custom vehicles. He had a part in, you know, doing the concept and initial design for those. Um, so he's got a, in terms of his. Um, his CV, it's pretty impressive um, when it comes to, to movie vehicles that everyone probably will know. But, yeah, it I love the look of this new um, new vehicle. 
It's awesome uh, for, the way that it's been designed and and what they've done with it. Ken's original idea. I watched. I stayed up to watch the announcement the other day, and they did a live in it. Well, not a live interview, but a recorded interview with the designer and the head of um, Hooniverse. Uh, not Hooniverse, Hoonigan, um, and and Ken, a three-way chat with them all, talking about everything. And it was quite interesting seeing what they do and how it was developed. But Ken's original plan was, I want to do an 80s-style feel. I want to do a um, Jim Carner in Miami with an 80s Fox Body Mustang. That's my idea. Go and create it. And, and, and what they've created at the end of the day is this awesome looking thing and the designer went through all the different versions and how he built it and you know how it builds off a wireframe and all that sort of stuff and um the interesting part at the end of the video is when they've announced it is showing the different liveries that they've designed and and the different things and then ken said to the designer just look go and tell me what you would like as a livery go and do that and then what he did and it's a very 80s style um Mm. color paint job and everything else um it's pretty amazing uh in terms of what it what it is um but yeah it's cool um the end of the um at the end of it they said look (laughs) go and harass forward tell them you want it built and (laughs) tell them that they you want it to do but the interesting thing i found is just after it was announced ford performance on their Twitter account, shared the images um, of the of it. So uh, it's cool to see that. Obviously, Ford, uh, you know, are and may possibly in mm. invested in it, and they might do something with it. That would be pretty cool to see. Well, they've they've done some good stuff in the past with Ken Block. Um, they gave him a uh, an EcoBoost engine out of the the Ford GT um, to put into the uh, F one fifty truck um, the featured. Truck. Yeah, so it's. Um, I think they've had some good involvement in the past. I think it, they've realised how valuable it is to them as a brand to have him using um, even older vehicles of theirs um, highlighted because it, it strengthens the Ford brand, of course, um, and highlights their their history, I guess, a little bit. You know, um, I'm just uh, I'm looking at these the photos of the Hoon and Fox, um, and I, I saw it this morning on Instagram. I can't remember whose account it was. Yeah, and I looked at it. I, I had no idea what it, what it was in particular. And they and they said car that I want, and that had a picture of the white Hoona Fox. Yeah. And then car that I can afford, and they had a picture of a rear three quarter f- of an XF Falcon. With <laughs> <laughs> and now that I look at it, I'm like, because I, I saw it at the time, I thought, wow, they've really like they've turned that XF Falcon into a coupe. But well, no, that's, that's what, what I thought. Is. Yeah, I, th- I I agree with you. When I first saw it, it looked. I thought it was a Falcon, um, and then I had to read the notes um, that you put in, Joel, because yeah. um, I hadn't had a chance to look at it fully yet. But oh, no, I, man, I, I, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, some uh, local guys here getting some inspiration <laughs> off it. Um, I think I've already seen this car in Logan. Said <laughs> <laughs> before or after it got stolen? <laughs> Who knows. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, look, let's um, let's touch on uh, one thing, one last thing before we uh, before. Well, actually, I'll say two more things. We've got one, um, Joel. The next World RX Esport round will have a couple of Aussies. It seems. I'm excited. It's tomorrow night, um, yep. which is Sunday night, the third uh, our time. Um, so if 
Ashes organised and gets this up and you happen to listen to it before Sunday night, certainly tune in. It's live on their YouTube. Uh, I'll be certainly settling in to watch. I can't wait for the next round. Um, Shane Van Gisberg is going to be driving, as well as Blake Bilko-Williams. Bilko was running today in the Subaru iRace, but this is uh, the FIA World Championship, and they will be running... um, Shane's running the Peugeot, which I'm not a fan of, having driven a car in the game. Um, But Blake is driving my favourite, which is the Audi S1 Cotro. Um, It's going to be racing from... So last time we were in Catalonia, this time um, we're going to be running um, in Portugal. Um, Now, I'm just trying to find the... I'm going to butcher this name again. I just can't. Montalegro, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, It's a cool track. I've played it on the game a couple of times, um, and it's very, very interesting. But, yeah, there's another whole list of drivers that are going to be running um, as well as some too. Yeah, I did saw that as well. It was an interesting Mm. one to see as as an addition. Um, But, yeah, that's running. so for them, it's 1,400 BST time or 1,500 CE time on the third, uh, which for us is, I think, uh, late-ish Sunday night. Um, but, yeah, it, it'll be pretty cool to watch. Um, I'm excited to watch the next round. Um, it is a long... If they use the same format as last time, it is quite long uh, in terms of time. But the races are short, so you get lots of races, but over a longer period of time. So it's a couple mm-hmm. of hours it'll generally go for. But there'll be lots of heat races and and last chance qualifiers and then the finals. So certainly something for rally fans to, to check out. Uh, cool. cool. And one, one last bit of news. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read this one, but it looks like supercars are hosting a celebrity race. Um, one that we, by the sounds of it, what we normally get at the start of the um, the Australian Grand Prix, um, we usually have a bit and of a Adelaide celebrity Grand race. Prix for years and years as well. Yeah. So this is going to be happening on the 12th of May. It's going to... F- feature athletes from different sporting codes around um, around the country. Uh, it's going to be at Bathurst, but the most important thing to note uh, oh in God. the story that I read is that damage will be turned off, so you won't be able to That's damage God. the car. So. I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine anybody who wasn't a professional racer trying to race in Bathurst. That is probably the most difficult track you could possibly pick. This, it's just so many blind... It's, it's going to be... But it's going to be... Yeah, everyone's going to be uh, coming over the mountain like Chas Mostert in, what was it, 2016? Where it was yeah. the upside down part coming down the elbow. It's just going to be, oh. It'll be great. The fact that turning is, down... Is it two laps? It hasn't said the format or how it's going to run. They haven't announced names. They're talking about All Blacks, uh, Australian cricketers, a um, couple of team owners. Uh, they've got supercars, TV people involved. So there's no no names as yet. We know that it's May 12th. It'll be at Bathurst. Damage is turned off. Um, but before then, we've got the next round, um, which is round five this week, which will be three races, all from the same circuit. They're all going to run at Spa this week. Um, and yeah. the top... Top ten shootout returns as well cool. this week, which uh, it should be good. So my Wednesday nights have uh, generally been um, 
stuck by the telly watching that. Now that they're and like you, Mick, I've been watching it on Fox Sports, which is just brilliant for the coverage. But yeah, I've been, I've been quite lately actually because I turn it on and my wife and kids go out and watch another <laughs> TV and turn Netflix on. So. Yeah, I get I get shifted to the to the bedroom to watch it, but uh, yeah. I don't mind. Uh, I've been enjoying it, and they keep uh, bringing it earlier. Now we're get, we're getting to see qualifying. Um, and, but if you are watching it, certainly I recommend jumping onto one of the Twitch streams. Uh, I've been watching Scotty McLaughlin's. It's really really good. You get a really good insight of what's going on. You get to hear the drivers all talking to each other. You get them here talking to um, to race control, and it's very very good to to get another insight into it, as well as having the coverage for um, on Fox Sports as well. Yeah, cool. I wonder if they're going to have the uh, celebrity race on the same night because it's going to be. Surely they'll have to have an independent special. It's going to be two laps in half an hour. Well, the 12th is um, <laughs> a Tuesday, so it's the day before. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, Rihanna Crennan trying to drive with um, her hubby, trying to interview her mid, mid-lap. Yeah. <laughs> that has got to happen, surely. That's got that's going to be one. Hopefully they'll have lots of, you know, they're obviously announcing it now. There's a there's sort of 10 days away before this happens. Hopefully they'll have mm. lots of cameras set up like they have been with, you know, if you look at the coverage the other night, they had a literally effectively a Zoom call set up with all the drivers so you could see them all. So hopefully yep. they'll do the same thing and we'll be able to hear from all the different drivers and stuff like that because it could be very entertaining because, like you said, we're seeing Nick Perkett's dog and a, and a few other guys are interacting you know when they've got the camera happening um when they're doing the expression session the other night mark winterbottom's son jumped on um scotty mclaughlin was offering his wife a drive um a few other guys were having were hamming it up and having fun so yeah it's it's great to see and hopefully we'll see the same thing during the celebrity race Mm. yeah well it's um what we might even do uh because i i know that i had a spent probably more time than I'd be willing to admit to try and find some streams that I do like of the different drivers um, because it's hosted all over the place we might even try and put together a list um, for those at home wanting to tune in to the different drivers um, so we can put that up uh, before Wednesday for, for everyone alright but um, but look let's let's wrap it up there and um, Boy, we, we had a lot of news this week. Um, do you want to just tell us quickly what you're up to this week, uh, Mick? Um, I'm swapping over into the... I think I'm picking up the hybrid this week, the Corolla. Okay. I've had a few shuffle around. So, um, I, I mean, I've, I've driven the, the hybrid Corolla quite a few times and the idea this time is to go specifically through the hybrid setup and the um, the way that it runs and the additional features that come with it. So um, I've also got another hashtag called augmented driver uh, on Instagram where I try and touch on those particular points and show the deviation from how humans drive and how cars drive and where, where the gap currently lies. So I'm looking to get into a few of those details as well. I've still got a few more days with, uh, with the Outlander, so I've got to throw that at some dirt and see how it goes. Cool. Um, but, yeah, that should be fun. Uh, well, um, I'll be – let me know. I'll be keen to, to have a little – dirt track and um take the patrol oh, yeah um but then after that i'll be jumping into the uh the grand vr um from toyota so the- <laughs> <laughs> have you driven the grand vr yet no i haven't um so- <laughs> it, it, it'll make the uh it'll make the patrol feel like a yaris <laughs> <laughs> well um so i've got that to look forward to so i i've had a string of big cars so i've had the um the the carnival, the patrol, and then the Grand Vier. 
up next. So uh, that's what I've got to look forward to. And what about you, Joel? Uh, I'm getting out and actually doing some um, doing one of my roles that I do in my business as an assistant to other photographers. So I'm jumping out to help a, a fellow photographer this week on a couple of shoots. So I'm excited to get out and um, uh, and well, the weather hasn't been the best, but hopefully it won't be too bad. But yeah, I'm looking forward to um, getting out and helping uh, and getting to spend some time with some cool vehicles. Hopefully this week. Cool. All right. Well, um, look, if, if for those listening at home, if you have any questions, be sure to send us an email at shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, if you also want to win a in-car tech pack from Belkin, make sure you visit dailyautofix.com slash win. Um, we're giving away a, a pack there. And um, until then, you can find Joel at, at Joel Strick Photo, Mick at uh, at Low Flight Tech and um, myself just at Daily Autofix. But until then, uh, we'll see everybody and you hopefully uh, back next week for another big week of news. Until then, stay safe. Cool. See ya. Bye.